Okay. Okay, good morning and welcome into today's um, Cover Crop Innovators webinar. Today we are joined by Steve Groff, the Cover Crop Coach. Steve is going to be sharing with us step-by-step -step instructions for uh, setting up drills and planters and how to properly calibrate them for planting cover crops. So good morning, Steve. Uh, welcome. Hey, thanks a lot, Conrad, and it's uh, good to be sharing again this morning. We're going to talk about step-by-step -step drill and planter calibration for planting cover crops. And this is uh, a topic that does come up on occasion, particularly now with the advent of a lot of mixes being used. Because if you're planting something like cereal rye or triticale, like a small grain as a cover crop, the charts and experience that you may have are there available, and it's very easy to set up your drill and to be able to plant those. But in the context of, of mixes, it does make it a little bit more challenging, and especially when you get some of these crazy mixes that have like over a dozen or more species, it, you can really kind of ask yourself the question, well, where do I even start to begin with? And you, know, you just look at a mix like this right here, which happens to be my my biggest mix. I think it was like 41 species. A couple of years ago, I had a whole bunch of things I was trying, and we just kind of cleaned everything up, put it up. And I actually did figure this out to be reasonable at a seeding rate and percentages and everything. Uh, and planted it just to see what it would look like. And uh, it certainly was fun to talk about. I'm not advocating this kind of a, a mix like this, but uh, what would you do if you had uh, multiple species? So I'm going to be uh, talking about that. And I want to give us a several different options uh, from the simple to uh, the technical. And it, there's different approaches depending on what you're working with. So on the drills, I'm going to talk about just a fast, easy way, some basic fundamentals to get your kind of best guess set up. Then I'm going to go through a rather lengthy uh, technical process that is, uh, you know, it might take you a half an hour to do it, but then, then you'll be set, ready to go. Because the value of seeds and uh, in the in time, you want to get it set as quick as possible. And then at the end, I'm going to kind of wrap up with an easy way, a couple easy ways actually to really be able to get this done quickly. And then I want to uh, finally just talk a little bit about planters. There's not quite as much information there, but it's a, it is pretty straightforward. So when we're talking about drills, it doesn't matter which drill you're talking about, some more than other, but it's kind of been nicknamed. It's controlled spillage where we're just uh, using fluted, um, uh, gears like this to meter out the seed and because seed varies so much in shape, size, and density, uh, it's, it is somewhat difficult to get a setting on a drill. So that is why we uh, are talking about this today to help this out. In the context of a precision planner, it definitely is more precise but then we're a little bit more limited because of the specific metering uh, uh, capabilities that are necessary for that. So I'm going to end up talking about that. But let's just start with the fundamentals, the basics. And I'm going to call this 
the fast way. Uh, this is just to get you out in the field, get you started. It's just kind of the basic for almost everything that I'm going to talk about today. And that is to start with a chart that happens to be in your drill. Well, I happen to have a John Deere 1560 drill. So this is the, the common chart for John Deere. All drills have their own charts. So if we look here at um, at this chart, what's interesting, and I'm going to just go down and point out, there are quite a few different settings that we can use for uh, cover crops. And, of course, wheat typically is not used as a cover crop, but triticale may be more so, and they're very similar. So those settings are very similar. So if you're coming out with some triticale for a cover crop, pretty much you can start with the wheat setting. Uh, oats is another popular one. Uh, I would also say oats can be used as a reference for fluffier seed. And uh, <clears throat> maybe even like sunflowers or something like that. Uh, we have rye, and that's associated there with cereal rye. Again, somewhat close to wheat, a little different. And peas are listed. Vetch and sorghum are very similar. Crested wheatgrass is uh, the, the notation that John Deere uses. And that can be very similarly associated with annual ryegrass. So if you are planting annual ryegrass, that setting for crested wheatgrass there can get get you really close. And then, or, of course, Sudan grass is listed down there as well, which could be maybe used as a cover crop. So there are some that are out there ready on the drill. Um, again, different manufacturers vary, but that's a start. Um, <clears throat> wheat is a popular one to use because it's a known setting, and farmers are typically comfortable with those settings. Um, and I'll just make a note that on my John Deere drill, on the lower end of the scale, it tends to underplant from what those settings are. So if I'm plant, let's just use this example here. Uh, if I'm going to um, uh, try to use the wheat setting up here as for triticale, let's just say I want to plant about <clears throat> maybe 40 pounds of triticale for my cover crop. So I look where 42 pounds for wheat is. That's a setting of 10. Well, on my drill, and just from my history, I'm probably going to set it at 12 or a little higher simply because I know that my drill is light on that end of the scale. When I'm sowing wheat up in here in the normal rates, that's uh, not even pictured here, there it's pretty well dead on. And I just want to make a point here. Most drills are set to use the... Um, the grain types that are used, like the like wheat and barley and even soybeans, at the 80 to 150 pound per acre range. That's the way they're designed around to set. And a lot of our cover crop usage is down in here in the lower range. And so they become more inaccurate at that lower range. They weren't meant to plant seeding rates at five, six, ten pound per acre, which we might do in some cover crop settings. So this is where it becomes a little difficult, and this is what we're going to talk about more today in that. So um, let's use an example now of a mix. 
And I just threw a mix up here, kind of a simple mix. 30 pounds of triticale, 5 pounds of crimson clover, and 2 pounds of radish. Those are, you know, kind of real numbers. And then, again, as I mentioned, let's use the wheat setting because triticale is not listed on my chart. I know it's really close to wheat. So as I uh, get my little marker up here, as we look at what that 30 pounds triticale is, 5 pounds crimson clover, where do I set that to accommodate the 5 pounds of crimson clover and the 2 pounds of radish? Well, you might think, well, I'll just add them together. You know, crimson clover to radish, that's a total of 37 pounds per acre. But since a drill is metering on volume, and since crimson clover, and to a little lesser extent, till our radish is small seeds, it kind of fits in the crevices of the triticale. So we don't want to really increase the setting very much because those smaller seeds are going to be in the context of the mix. So that's just something you need to take into consideration. So I would simply use the wheat setting and pretty much ignore the smaller seeds or maybe tap it up just a little bit higher to accommodate them, but surely not seven pounds higher. And I know that's not much of a, a difference on a drill like this. But as I stated before, on my John Deere drill, I would probably set it right in here to about 42, like the 10 on here, because I know I'm seeding light in this here. So that's just a nuance that you learn to, you have to understand. Now, when I get in further here, teaching about more specifics, you'll then pretty soon find out how, how well your drill does at those lower settings. Um, getting used to running my little marker here, so bear with me a little bit um, as I try to figure out how to turn it off. Okay, that moves. Okay, so let's talk about um, a more technical way, a more accurate way, and you may only have to do this once or twice unless you really dramatically change your mix. So this is going to be something that you almost have to see a couple times to understand. Once this webinar is recorded and uploaded, you can go back and look at it. I actually have a, uh, a text sheet on this that I'm going to make available sometime in the future that will all be written out. So if you're, if you're listening to this later, you might have to go back and go over it because it is fairly technical. But again, fairly accurate if you want to really want to fine tune your seeding rates. So the first thing to do is to measure and flag out a 200 foot distance in a field. And that's going to be a baseline here for measuring an area. The next thing is mark your tire or drive wheel. Some planters have drive wheels. Put a mark on there somehow, spray paint it or some way that you can kind of easily see that. And these are just little kind of like tricks of the trade, so to speak, to get this done quickly. So we're going to have our drive wheel marked. Then we want to drive that measured 200-foot distance with the drill engaged. So conditions have to be near field ready to do this. You want the drill engaged so it's real-world conditions. 
and you have someone either walking along or going along the four-wheeler or something, count the revolutions of that drive wheel in the 200 feet and then jot that down. The next thing to do then, and it's a separate but uh, very related aspect, calculate the area, which is easy. It's 200 feet times the width of your drill. And then we're going to divide that by 43,560, which is the square feet in an acre. So we're going to take the distance times the width divided by an acre. Um, and I'm going to go through an example here uh, next, but I also want to mention, too, that this is the time now we're going to put seed in the drill. So we're ready to do our test. So here's my example. If I have a 15-foot drill by 200 feet, that's 3,000 square feet. I divide that by an acre, square foot in an acre, and I come out to 0 0.069 of an acre, 0 0.069 of an acre. So I keep that number, put seed in the drill, make sure there's enough in to cover all the openings because you're going to run this a little bit here. Uh, I would I would really not encourage you maybe to fill the whole drill up because we want to jack it up here. If certain drills, we need to do that, and you don't want a heavy drill with it completely full of seed. Uh, the other thing is what I shared at the very beginning, use that drill seeding chart to at least get a close setting, at least get it close, that we don't want to waste a lot of time. You don't want to do this five times. You want to get it close, so you want to start close. So jack up the drive wheel, or in some cases, their, their drive wheel may be just on the planter. You don't have to do this step. Now, the next thing is very important. Turn the drive wheel until you see seed coming out, all the seed boots. Now, again, most drills need to take a couple revolutions of the drive wheel in order to get all the seed starting to meter out. So this is important when we do our tests. So do this first. You're not catching anything yet. Then we want to put a tarp under the planter. And for most planters, it's not hard to do. If you do have a wide planter, you can only do a portion of that, which will work too, but you're going to have to calculate the width there later on when you do your calculations. So once you have the tarp underneath and it's shacked up, then you're going to turn that drive wheel the same number of revolutions as you did for that 200 measurement out in the field. And since you already have that down, you know how many that is, and you do that, and I um, <clears throat> have a few pictures here of some other drills. Uh, this is actually a locally made drill around here that they actually have a calibration tarp included with the drill. It slips into the main frame of the drill. It's very convenient. Uh, so lay out the tarp. And in this case is a drive wheel that happens to be in the front of the machine. You don't have to jack it up. So it's a little bit easier in that regard. So as I said, you turn the drive wheel as many revelations as equated the distance that you remembered. And and I will say on this particular drill here, the locally made drill, they have some distances figured out for you. So it kind of takes the step away. You don't have to actually drive in the field. So there are different variants of this. So that's what I'm trying to show you a couple of them just to, to, to help us understand what you might be dealing with. 
So we're collecting the seed. In this case, it's a really nice way to put it in a bucket so that we're able to then weigh that seed. Now, you can't just use a bathroom scales to do this because generally the seed will only be maybe less than a pound, maybe only two or three pounds. You really do need a scale that can measure ounces. So that's something that you want to either buy or have on hand to be able to do this right. Then you can begin to calculate the seeding rate that that drill is set at. And I'll just put an example out here. This is a real-world example that I used already. I collected 1.38 pounds of seed on the tarp, divided at by the 0 0.069 acres. That equaled 20 pounds per acre. So if that seed that I wanted to plant, if I wanted to plant 25 pounds per acre, I would increase my setting a little bit to try to see how close I could get to that. And then you have to decide, do I just want to go to the field and plant, or do I want to do this test again? Once you're set up, it's not hard to do it again. I would recommend do this two or three times till you get really close to your setting. So if it's a little bit light, um, then you have to adjust accordingly. So you just keep doing this till you feel confident that you are ready to go to the field. Now, if you don't want to get a tarp and, uh, you know, go through that hassle, you can take a portion of the planter. And in this case here, I happen to have a small seed box on my drill. And I'm just using this as an example where you can take, in this case, five of the uh, row uh, tubes and just measure them. And if you're planting like crimson clover or even radish or very small seeds, and you don't have large seeds associated with your mix, this might be an option to do it this way. But in this case here, you're going to have to accommodate only five rows. So just a little example here, five rows, my row space is 7.5 inches. That's 3.125 feet. Then you can just do the math to calculate it out. Now, I want to um, pause and just say a few things that I found with drill settings, especially on a low rate. And I, I learned this <clears throat> through kind of trial and error. But on my small 10-foot drill, it has 16 different, 16 rows. I actually, at a uh, rate that was, that was calibrated to plant six pounds of radishes out of that small grain box there, I actually calibrated it and measured, I should say, every single row. And I got a rate varying from as low as one pound per acre to a rate as high as 11 pounds per acre on the same drill. But the average was six pounds, what I wanted. So that's why some of these drills aren't as good at these lower rates. And maybe if you have the ability to use a precision planner, it's much better to take full advantage of the, um, of the seed that you uh, are planting to get it evenly spaced. Uh, the higher seeding rate that you have in a drill, usually the better it's going to be. So, Conrad, I see there's a question. 
maybe I'll just pause a little bit and um, get asked a question. Sure, Steve. Uh, yeah, I had a question come in here from Andy. Uh, with larger quantities, uh, such as from an air drill, uh, he just has commented that he's used uh, a scale that would be uh, common in fishing um, to get that specific um, measurement. Because you are talking about no matter of ounces or, or pounds. Uh, right. I would imagine a, a kitchen scale would work as well. Well, anything that can measure ounces, and that's a great idea, Andy. Uh, sometimes you have this stuff, you know, ready, and you may have to borrow it from your wife or from your kitchen or something like that. Um, usually a, you can get a pretty good scale for less than $30. That's fairly accurate. And I think that's money well spent um, just to be able to uh, get out and get your you know, your seeding rates accurate. So yeah, whatever you have that measures in ounces, they're down to ounces. That's what's, that's the key that's important. Uh, unless you want to drive a thousand feet and then turn your wheel, you know, a few dozen times, uh, and get more seed, that would actually be more accurate. But, um, but anyway, good point. Appreciate, uh, bringing up that idea. If any of you, any of else have any ideas, uh, just, just type them in there and, um, we can share it with everybody. Okay, that was the long technical way. There are a few shortcuts, and there is a company called um, uh, AccuScale.com that has a cedar meter. And basically what it does is you can – it explains what to do for you and the, the length, the distance traveled and all that and how many revolutions to do, but it actually uses a, a kind of a built-in leveling scale – that has a calibration built into it. So uh, I'm not going to read over uh, all this that is that is listed there, but everything's written right there. That's the whole point. And uh, you can see kind of on the right-hand side, it got your road spacing, and then it, it suggests the distance traveled to, to be able to accomplish that. So uh, IQScale.com, I have used this myself. And uh, thanks to uh, Colton, who's an innovator member here. He shared that picture with me when he saw the email going out. Uh, we're going to talk about this. He said it's, he's found it coming really handy, especially for calibrating mixes. Now, I have uh, just a little bit of a comment on this. It is very convenient, and it's, it's very, very nice. You, uh, they do a lot of the calculations for you. You don't need a tarp. Calculations are easy. However, one thing I think would be uh, just fair to share is that at lower seeding rates, it's a little less accurate. And if you can see on the uh, on the, the kind of the line there, the seeding rates go up from zero to 250 pound per acre. So if you're planting, you know, in that 10 to 20 pound per acre, it's pretty fine tuned at that lower rate. So I would say. There, if you are getting really uh, lower rates, you may want to use some uh, other methods to actually do this. But other than that, this is something that's available. Um, I think it costs 50 or 60 bucks. They supply little baggies so you can collect off your seating, um, you know, tubes and stuff. So, um, yeah, it's just a good option that's out there. So with everything else I said, it sounds a little complicated, and it is, but there is an easier way. But 
lot of times you have to pay for it when things become easy. And that is, is to use a scales. Uh, scales on grain drills are becoming more and more popular. Um, just for a reference on my, my drill, it was $2,000. Um, after the pain of paying it off is gone, you'd never go without it. Uh, it's just so nice to be able to use some of the fundamental principles I said in the very beginning. Get your seeding rate close based on your seed indexes and based on some of the primary components of your cover crop mix and trying to, you know, guess, you know, kind of your best guess, I would have to say, um, is uh, is out there is is a way to get started. But then you can literally very quickly get dialed in and watching the seed as it goes. And um, usually uh, planters now and with GPS and everything, you may have an acreage meter that's that's accurate and it can tell you how many acres you've planted. You can do the math. Uh, and you can figure out within an acre or two, you can get, you can really get it dialed in. So again, use the seeding chart. As I said early on here, get the setting close, plant an acre or so, observe the amount of seed seeded by the scales, and then you just adjust accordingly. So, uh, this definitely is something that does take a lot of the uh, guesswork out and it makes it a whole lot easier. Another thing to do once you've spent all the time and effort into this is to write down the settings that you use for, for a specific uh, mix or a specific cover crop that you planted. And this is just taken right off my drill, um, and this was different things uh, we, we were doing. And um, it's it, that those settings are for my drill. They, they actually – you could take the exact John Deere drill and it may be slightly different. It's certainly not an exact science I've found out. Uh, but write them down somewhere that you can reference them so you don't have to, uh, you, know, you know, redo everything with a new mix. Now, obviously, if mixes changes, if mixes change and you need to uh, recalculate, that's just what you have to do. But don't forget to write it down to save yourself some time the next time. Well, let's just switch over to precision planter calibration, which is somewhat simpler, but then I'd have to say somewhat limiting as well. And uh, we had talked about precision planting last week, and if you didn't get to hear that, you can go back. It's up on our up on the members' website and be able to listen to it. Uh, but just a little bit of detail here. I'm just going to put out a few of the more popular cover crops that have been grown with precision planters. Uh, some single species that are relatively round in size and singulatable are, are straightforward. Uh, in other words, planting annual ryegrass with uh, standard seeding discs probably will not work in a precision planter. That being said, I'm going to show you discs that are now on the market where it will work or multiple mixed species will work. But let's just start out with radish. There are small Milo plates or sugar beet plates that are on the market. Obviously, if you're not in an area of uh, the world that that uses those particular crops, you need to talk with your dealer weeks in advance just to uh, get them ordered for you. But most companies have them. And a general rule of thumb for radishes is set to a four-inch in-row spacing regardless of row width. 
that just seems to to work out. It does depend what you're trying to accomplish, maybe. Uh, but four inches is a good row spacing, and that equates to about a hundred thousand seeds per acre in fifteen inch rows, just for a reference sake. Um, nowadays, with a lot of controllers in the cab, you can adjust seeding rates pretty much on the go in the cab. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, for peas, again, very straightforward. Use soybean plates. Again, that four inch in row spacing is really good for. 15-inch rows. If you happen to have a 30-inch planter and you want to plant peas to build nitrogen, here I would recommend you go to a 2-inch in-row spacing uh, to be able to keep the population about the same. Uh, the reason we don't change that in the radishes, as I suggested, is radishes have the ability to compensate for more room. Peas don't quite as much. Uh, again, that's you have to kind of do this, what works for each person, but uh, that's just a good uh, rule of thumb in that. Now, as I uh, indicated, and I showed some of these pictures actually last week, but there, there's a backing plate that we're, that can be used for Kinsey brush meter type uh, planters where you can actually use their standard soybean plate and essentially cover it up in the back so the, so the small cover crop seeds don't leak out. You can see some of the seeds there that are referenced. Um, I, uh, uh, I'm assuming they're going to come out soon with uh, seeding rate guides and so forth, but you're essentially using the, the pockets of a soybean plate for, that singulates the seed for now pockets of smaller seed mixes and being able to uh, plant them, put them in, in the ground. And they also have other plates for both John Deere and Kinsey vacuum planters. And I know they're working on with precision planting, Case IH, uh, and white here in the future to get out plates that can actually plant like an annual ryegrass that may be in the mix. And that's really exciting because that opens up a lot of possibilities for being able to uh, plant cover crops. So um, that pretty much uh, wraps it up for today. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about doing cover crop research right, what I've learned after 22 years. I uh, certainly don't know it all, but uh, I did learn a few things that would be uh, great to pass along. Um, so I guess, uh, Conrad, I see there's some more questions. Maybe we can discuss that, and then we'll move into our roundtable discussion. Yeah, absolutely, Steve. Uh, thank you for sharing that information. Certainly gets to be technical, but um, you did a great job laying out the steps that are needed to, to calibrate a drill or a planter. Um, yeah, Andy had a, a comment here uh, again about uh, the seed disc uh, providing another um, source, um, canoladisc.com um, is another one that he has used. Um, So that that's uh, that, that would be another one that people may be able to look in, into for a for a John Deere planter. Steve, do you have any other comments on on that? No, I'll, I'll, we'll put that up in the on the Facebook page just so other people can see it as well. That's great. Thanks a lot, Andy, for that. But um, yeah, looking forward to um, to next week, and um, then we'll just uh, transition here to opening up the lines if there's. Anything at all you guys want to talk about, I'm uh, kind of mixing up the format a little bit here. I just thought 
that while we're together, it would be fun just to talk about anything you want to. You know, it's kind of like uh, uh, open line Friday that talk shows do or something like that. Anything about uh, cover crops that you want to talk about. So um, we'll open up the lines. If you guys have a question, unmute yourself. Um, I would say, too, you're still on there. If you want to type a question into the box, we can look at that if you don't. Uh, want to pipe up, but, um, but yeah, anyone, uh, have a question to ask? I see Tom got his mic on. Tom, you have a question? Uh, no, I was just getting ready. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, um, well, what, what are you finding in, uh, I believe you're from New Hampshire, right? Yes, I am. How's cover crops, uh, taking off up there? What's, what's working? What's your challenges? In the last few years, they've been starting to take off a lot more. Um, our challenges primarily are growing season related because we have a short growing season and a short period to get our cover crops in. Um, most everybody here is dairy farmers, so it's corn silage. And then, of course, they're looking at emptying manure pits in the fall. And then uh, and we've finally got some, so now they're establishing the cover crops before they put manure on. Um, not much manure is injected. Most of it is surface applied. Um, the other thing that we are I'm doing some work with New Hampshire NRCS trying to come up with a few mixes that are going to work for most people. Mm-hmm. So cereal rye has been the old standby. Yeah. Just curious up there, I know there's been some interseeding work done where you're planting cover crops in when corn's about knee high. Are you seeing seeing any of that? Is it is it working? Uh, what's your perspective? I was involved with, we tried it on three farms last year, and then actually, uh, I don't know, did five acres on each of the three farms. Mm-hmm. And then in the fall, when, when the silage was off, um, the interseeding looked pretty poor, and then mm-hmm. it was run over, of course, harvesting the silage. Mm-hmm. And one guy, uh, his help came through and, and drilled across where it was interseeded, and a month later what had been drilled, and, and that was a mixture of oats and cereal rye, was way ahead of what was interseeded. Okay. So basically the the, the I guess the machinery – the trucks and choppers and everything really kind of uh, set the interseeded crop back. Is that what you're saying? I think they did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not sure if the population on the corn silage might have had something to do with it too. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I see John's on from Ontario. I don't know if you're able to, um, uh, unmute yourself or not, but, um, wouldn't mind hearing what's 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 happening up there. Yeah, Steve, I got a question. Yeah, I planted uh, twenty-five pounds of faba beans and Austrian winter peas in between my corn rows mm. without any fertilizer. Just about uh, four tons of chicken manure. Do you think that'll uh, be enough? nutrients for to grow a good corn crop this year well uh, my answer to that is i guess you'll see uh, uh 
does depend maybe a little bit on the nutrients that are in your chicken manure and field history. There's an awful lot of uh, variables that can be applied to that question. Whether or not the fava beans or Austrian winter peas will provide much nitrogen to the corn, I would say uh, probably not a whole lot, but they're certainly, um, you know, not going to, you know, they're going to help the equation, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced. Um, what are you seeing so far? I mean, what stage was the corn at when you, did you intercede the fava beans? Yeah, I did. I, uh, I actually rolled, I no-tilled corn into uh, cereal rye, okay. and uh, it, it's probably a month and a half later than all the other guys, so it, it's a lot lower than mm. than the, the neighbors and stuff, but it's coming. So I'm assuming the cereal rye then took up most of the nitrogen that was in the chicken manure. Would that be accurate? Yeah, I, I, I applied chicken manure in the fall, but I also went back on and began this spring and mm. put it on after I planted. Oh, after you planted the corn. Yeah. Okay. Did you spray out? So the, yeah. Did you spray yeah, out? I sprayed. Mm-hmm. I sprayed as soon as just after I planted with the uh, glyphosate. Okay. Well, that that nitrogen in that portion of the chicken manure probably would be would be available to the corn crop. Um, so you know, this is well, this is one of the things that, that there's so many variables, and it's a little hard to give you an answer. But you just got to observe it, if you can, every week to see what's going on. That's how you learn to fine-tune things. Uh, how tall was the corn when you interseeded the fava beans in Austrian winter peas? I actually I planted at the same time as the uh, ah. the corn. I have an APV uh, um, planter. I just I have an inner plant, yeah. four-row planter with three out behind it. I just put yeah. it on the same time. Oh, okay. Well, what's, what's your herbicide program? I just went right in with uh, glyphosate, okay. and it was called Blackhawk, and uh, and I burned it off. But uh, the weeds actually came back, so we went back in with um, – I can't think of it yeah. now, but uh, we're trying to slow them down anyways. That's a little tough when you have a, a broadleaf and a grasses and corn to try to find a herbicide. It'll just get the weeds and not hurt your cash crop or your companion crop. Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah. Well, that's that is that is uh, you know kind of a very fine line to get something like that uh, working. I I know I've heard instances where planting companion crops at the same time have worked. It's just a, it's really difficult to be consistent in that. Um, I, I it's kind of like tantalizing out there. You want to make it work, and and then you know the weather doesn't quite cooperate or something, and it, it's just not consistent enough to really invest in a lot of acres uh, in the future, but I certainly commend you for for looking into that. Um, have you ever done any type of interseeding before, like later on when the corn is knee high? Yes, I did. I've used uh, annual ryegrass and uh, crimson clover, and uh, it it overwintered and uh, it was beautiful. I planted, I know it tilled beans and rolled right into it as well. Okay, so that. That aspect you're seeing shows promise. Yeah, yeah, they look good. So. Okay, well that's good. So you're kind of taking it. You're trying to push the envelope here, I guess, when you're planting uh, well, you know, just, legumes with your corn at planting. Yeah. Yeah, I know if some people have actually planted forage soybeans in a situation like that, where they were both Roundup ready, 
and then they were able to go in once the corn, the beans, and the weeds started growing and clean up the weeds with, with that. Um, so uh, that's an option, you know, if you're using GMO technology. Um, but anyway, well, it'll be interesting what you, what you learn from that. I wonder what would happen if the fava beans would be planted a little bit later in the year, if they would survive under the corn canopy or not. Do you have any thoughts on that based on what you've seen? Or um, I'm not sure. We'll have to. It'll be a learning experience, that's for sure. So we'll see what happens. Well, that's cool. Thanks for sharing. That's the kind of stuff, uh, you know, where we can all learn from uh, to see what see what's going on there. Does anyone else um, have a comment? I have a question. Yeah. I um. You know, kind of when I, the Lemonokan farm there in North Dakota, you know, one of the things that had really struck me was this rotation that included perennial crops. You ah. know, so that they would have four years of perennial crops, one year to establish and then two or three years, you know, to get the benefits of it. Mm -hmm. um, and then they would switch back again to annual crops. And I think they can do that there um, because they have, such a big, you know, focus on grazing and rotational grazing, grazing and things like that. But I wondered um, what you would think are some of the takeaways for different regions, you know, how you could kind of work some of those ideas into farming in our area. Believe me, Jennifer, I've thought about that a lot. Um <laughs> And as as is always stated, the principles can be applied anywhere. But you know, strategic management is uh, it's a big difference between the Dakotas and Delaware, where you live, and soil type and seasonality and and and, mm. and a lot of that stuff. Um, we don't graze many chickens. <laughs> yeah, that would. Yeah, I hear you. So. Yeah, I don't. I, I I don't have a a surefire answer to that. I think I do think the answers will come uh, because and it, and it's going to be you know very regionally specific as you have people like yourself and and others who you're working with as you kind of try things and test things. I mean, just like John was sharing about in Ontario planting fava beans with corn. You know, there may be something there. Maybe it needs to be fine-tuned. Um, so the whole thing of, of perennial crops or having a uh, perennial crop in the system, it certainly sounds great in theory, and I think we all want to make it work. It's a little tough sometimes to make it work consistent enough, and that's that always yeah. has been the challenge. So. I'm just going to be honest with you that I don't know that I have uh, an answer to that. Uh, maybe, maybe there's someone else does, uh, but that's kind of where I'm at on it. So, okay. yeah, Tom. Uh, can we go back to John for a minute? Yep. Because last year we actually took a 16 acre field that had been corn silage for a number of years and we tried to establish we we split it up into four and we tried four different 
types. Um, we were basically trying to establish a legume cover crop. Here we used clover. We used mm -hmm. uh, white clover, a mix, and then some crimson clover. And we did it at the same time that we planted the corn. Oh. Um, and we established the clover with a brilliant. And really, I mean, we had a beautiful stand okay. of clover, but the weeds did come in. Uh-huh. And we ended up hitting it with a half rate of glyphosate to try to control the mm -hmm. weeds, and we took the majority of the clover out at the same time. Oh, really? And I'm just wondering if anybody had had any experience with trying to use clover for that as a legume. Go ahead. Anyone want to comment on that? Or have any other follow-up questions? Because uh, I, I do – that's interesting you said about putting a glyphosate on at a half rate because was that by the way uh tom was that crimson clover i think you said crimson clover right yeah. yes we had crimson clover in Out. one four acre section would you say i'm guessing four to six inches tall when you went in there with the half rate oh it was taller than that oh um the crimson clover was almost up to your knees and the oh. red clover was above your knees did it take yeah. out the red clover as well, the half rate of glyphosate? It, it did. Because yeah. there's times where a full rate seems like it hasn't I, taken them out. So that's that's kind of like one of those confusing. Well, that's know. why we went in with half a rate, because we were hoping to keep the clover yet take the weeds out. And um, it, yeah. uh, it pretty much took everything out. So. Hmm. Well. And we, we're thinking of. We didn't get the subterranean clover early enough this spring, but we were thinking of trying subterranean clover. It's a good idea. Uh, I know that some people have already tried that, but it, it, it needs to be checked again. So I think you're on the right track. It'll be interesting to see how that works out. It's, it's good to know you're doing that, and it's it's cool to hear that uh, John was doing that too. So. Um, yeah, Andy, do you have any comments on that or another question? Oh, just for herbicide use, uh, something like Remoxinol or 2,4-DB mm. might be enough to set the weeds back, but probably won't smoke the clover mm -hmm. right dead at least. Mm -hmm. Well, there's something for you to try, Tom. Yep. Um, yeah. Mm. Uh, Jennifer, did you have a comment? I saw you were on. Or anybody else? No, I just realized I needed to mute myself. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Okay, anyone? Guess, anyone? Go ahead. Andy again. I guess uh, I don't even know if if anybody advertises Clearfield Corn anymore, but um, hmm. that would be something you could use Raptor Pursuit uh, with Clearfield corn, that doesn't hurt the clovers at all. It's usually used for seed production. So hmm. if they still make it, that's an option. Well, there you go. Um, you know, some of this stuff is just waiting for technology to catch up, uh, some of our ideas. And I guess that's why we're doing what we're doing. And that's what this innovator group is all about, to to test things and just to see see what's possible. Um, so, well, anybody else have any questions at all? Uh, anything, any cover crop question you'd, you'd like to ask? We'll probably take one, maybe one more question and, uh, and wrap it up.
Okay, Conrad, I'm going to throw it back to you if you want to just wrap it up, and we'll look forward to, to seeing you guys next week. Absolutely. Thanks, Steve, for facilitating that conversation, and thanks, everybody, for jumping in. It's kind of fun to see what is on everybody's mind and uh, uh, give some give some insight into what's what's going on in your local area. So, again, come back next week. Uh, we will be doing uh, a webinar on uh, lessons learned from 22 years of research and uh, how to do cover crop research the right way. Steve will be giving that presentation, and then we'll have another of these roundtable conversations after the webinar is done. So um, plan to stay on after the webinar and uh, ask for questions and join the conversation. So thank you so much, and have a great day. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.